Woohoo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. Happy Tuesday! It's Tuesday! And we're bringing some big short, short energy over here on this Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Today, I very much do, looking down at not very much being left to the imagination. Yeah, it's an interesting combination. These are soccer shorts, and yeah. they're kind of like Courtney DeWalter style, but I've rolled them like 14 times <laughs> so that my butt cheeks can see the light of day, and it's great. Well, they say, sun's out, bun's out. This time we're doing something a little different. We're doing suns out, labia out. Labia? That was, labia. I was like, suns out, glutes out, suns out, <laughs> buns out. Uh, I was really not expecting that word. And I'm proud of you. Yeah. It's hard for a man to say labia or vagina in the first 45 seconds of a podcast. <laughs> well, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm a feminist warrior. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's true. You're saying that sarcastically, but you legitimately are. <laughs> I definitely am not. Though I do try. I try to do what I can. Um, but last week I didn't even know the basics of female internal anatomy. So, <laughs> I'm trying to work my way up one term at a time. This week it's labia. Next week it's uterus. Just hold me back. I cannot be stopped. Okay. I'm not going to lie. It actually gave me great, great joy that you didn't know that gonads were ovaries. Yeah. Something about it last week. I like went back and edited the podcast and I was like, this is fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Just being here, just trying the best I can. Um, so those shorts definitely are interesting. Why do you have them rolled up like 14 different times though? You know, it makes me feel good. And I had yeah. a week last week. I had like a week. If yeah, we we're going to talk like, a little bit about it. We yeah. had a lot going on. And you know what? Sometimes I feel like you put like middle fingers to the haters. Yeah. Sometimes instead of doing that, you just got to put both ass cheeks to the haters <laughs> and be like, take this. That's kind of how I feel. And then, like, just like not even haters, but just like proverbial haters. Like we had so much going on. Oh, there, sometimes, was, also, there some, was also a hater. Yeah, there, yeah uh, that too. But sometimes you want, know you just got to go like full ass to the universe and be like, you know, maybe just we'll have a better week this week. <laughs> Two ass cheeks for the haters. Yeah. Oh my God. That needs to be on our next round of merch. That needs to be the new swap saying. Because Megan, it resonates with me so much. <laughs> but you know what? I've been doing strength training. Yeah. These are good ass cheeks for the haters. I'm saving like, I've been working for this. <laughs> yeah. I have 20 pounds on each side of that squat <laughs> rack. It's so much. They're going to get two Christmas hands right in their fucking faces. Yes. That's for sure. Okay. We have the best episode for you. Uh, I'm still a little bit hung up on two ass cheeks for the haters, Megan. <laughs> yeah. that, uh, has Is it going to stick with you forever? Yes. You're going to have it on your grave. You're going to be like, actually, my ass cheeks are turned down, but <laughs> we can turn yours up if you want. What we're going to do is we're going to have our headstones side by side. Oh, that's beautiful. This is going to be very relevant. Yes, actually, this is actually for kind of relevant. Yes. to surprise you with uh, coming up, but we're going to have our he headstones side by side. And then yours will just say two ass cheeks. And then <laughs> mine will say for the haters. <laughs> I'll die first. So it'll just say for the haters for a while. And then we add two ass cheeks at the beginning as the prefix. I'm totally going first. But I would love it. It would be really funny if it just said for the haters for like <laughs> five years as you waited for me. <laughs> they know who they are. And that is for them. Okay. Best episode for you today. Can't wait for this one. I'm going to start with some life updates that we've been referring to obliquely. Uh, then talk about the most important athletic news of the week. What? I'm not even informed on this. Just wait. Does it have to do with ass cheeks? Um, have you been strength training? <laughs> it does have to do with ass cheeks, but kind of in a roundabout way. Okay. Uh, then UTMB updates, Olympic trials picks and thoughts, our favorite coaches and coaching philosophy from a listener question, a study on physical activity and genetics. This is from Megan's area of expertise, possibly a study on time-restricted eating, an article from Men's Journal on health and training, and then news and fun things, including the Chipotle Challenge and new tech. There is so much going on in running right now. We have the yes. Olympic trials coming up this weekend, and there is like simply too many good topics yeah. in this episode that we have like two whole pages of an outline where we're like, oh, I don't think we can get to that today. Yeah, it all got moved up 
maybe for next week or maybe it just never sees the light of day. It's going to go into the abyss. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh I know. Downhill running and creatine just heading into the abyss. Yeah. I'm going to pour one out for those topics. I love them deeply. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to let them go away so we can talk about what else we have. And we're going to start uh, with some good news, actually. Let's yes. start with that. Yeah. I, I got a cardiac MRI last week. Is this where you're going? Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. But it was actually, it was very stressful because I was heading into this cardiac MRI. I've had some like multiple rounds of heart issues. Yeah. And some of my cardiologists were like, okay, let's just make sure you get a clean cardiac MRI to make sure there's no scarring. So yeah. I had this on Tuesday. And then all of a sudden, starting on Sunday, I just started developing anxiety. I'm yeah. like, what's going on in there? Is this going to be okay? Yeah. And then I sat in a tube or laid in a tube for two and a half hours on Tuesday oh as they did this cardiac MRI and just thought about existence. It's such a nightmare to me how this happens because they stick you in something where your nose is basically right against the edge of the tube. Right? I know. I was, I was sitting there trying to calculate, but I couldn't move my arm. So yeah. I like couldn't do a hand test to be like how many inches. I'm pretty sure my nose was like three inches from the top of the tube. That is a true claustrophobia nightmare. Oh yeah. It was It was kind of... I don't, I'm not even claustrophobic and I was like, this is kind of a nightmare. A night randomly, I went down a rabbit hole of reading about people that get lost cave diving and some of the bad things that can happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know why I did that. It was not a really good decision. Did you get... learn anything from it? No. no, And it stuck with me much like your <laughs> ass cheeks have. Yeah. Um, but whenever you're in the cardiac MRI, it makes me think of that. And as you were approaching this, I was so deeply worried because you hadn't gotten an MRI throughout this initial phase that we've had recently. And you did in the past. And the ones in the past came back bad even when you felt good sometimes. And so with this one, I think I got in your head a little bit too. I was like, well, what do we do if it comes back bad? And the answer is something we didn't really want to talk about because realistically, if that cardiac MRI doesn't come back good, the rest of your athletic career could look a lot different, you know? Yeah. But then you know what? It what? came back fucking great. <laughs> it came back so good. It was awesome. Well, I had to sit there. So actually back to the cardiac MRI, you have to do breathing exercises yeah. in there. So they can't MRI. So like... MRI is ideal when something is not moving. And yeah. so like you're breathing, your chest is moving. So you have to hold your breath. So your, your chest stops moving. So I was like, all of our breathing exercises prepared me for this. Oh my gosh. We talked about breathing in the last podcast episode. And I was like, we were just ordering together, breathing together to prepare me for this moment. Yeah, It was I, training. I was joking before we started the podcast that I've just become straight Buddha over here. <laughs> you have. I'm so peaceful. I'm so relaxed. You're a feminist Buddha. <laughs> exactly. Buddha, Buddha, Buddha would be feminist. Buddha would be feminist. Yeah, but Buddha would also have some great ass cheeks. <laughs> yeah. And he would help you with a cardiac MRI. That's true. Yeah. So news came back good, Megan. I'm just so happy. I, you know, we both cried tears of joy. This oh, is so such wonderful. a relief. Yeah. I, I had like actually a great training weekend this weekend. And I was just kind of like, I feel free. Yeah. And I think I was like hesitant to make a race calendar. I'm still slightly hesitant to make a race calendar, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm really excited about racing ahead and I feel like I have so much more confidence in training and so it felt so good. Yeah. Well, if you get a stress fracture in a bone, like your tibia or your femur or something, what, that's six to 10 weeks. If you get a stress fracture in your heart, a little bit longer, a little bit more concerning. So whatever we face now, hopefully it's a little bit less worrying than that. So heck yes. Want to celebrate that. High five. Amazing job. I don't know exactly what you're doing to make your heart this super powerful organ, but great job. Actually, I was going to say, I did nothing. And okay. that was the interesting part, heading yeah. out the cardiac MRI is like, I don't have, I actually felt amazing in training yeah. and nothing was going on, but it's like also so outside of my control, unlike an injury. And it was yeah. like, okay, I'm just going to head in there and fade. It's like, you know, up to fate. Yeah. Well, you did so amazing on that. But that was existing side by side with some grief processes that happened yes. last week. We yeah, talked so about this a little bit on Patreon, but 
why don't you just tell our listeners, we're trying to just be open with what we're bringing to each episode. Also too, that like grief and the process of working through grief is really hard. So I got news on Thursday that my grandma was not doing well and she unfortunately passed this weekend. Actually, I was out riding my bike and I went for a long ride and I got a text to my bike computer on the final hill that she had passed. And it was like, I had this like visualization. She had this amazing turquoise beach bike cruiser that she would just send all around town with this giant basket and the type of brakes where you pedal back Oh, to break, what? <laughs> which seems like the worst biking invention of all time. It seems like a bike that's made for the circus. Yes. Yeah. But as I was out there, I was like crying tears and actually listening to Ludacris, which is a very interesting combination. Yeah. And I was riding uphill and I was like, I'm just channeling my mom on her turquoise yeah. bike. So yeah. wait, which hill was it? It was the, it's a, it was a short hill. Okay. Yes. The but, one like kind of near our house, like the final climb. Wait, my hill stride hill? <laughs> Your hill stride hill. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. That, I mean, that's really touching. <laughs> <laughs> we have spent a lot of time on that hill. Yes. We oh. have seen all kinds of deities on that hill. Yeah. Well, I mean. And now we'll see my grandma. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Every single time. Yes, yeah. Mama. Yeah. I feel like she would want nothing else. I mean. She was an amazing person. Such a yeah. great support system to you too. Yeah. She also loved you. So I remember she had dementia in her final days, which was hard. And I think almost like part of this grief process for me is I don't think I ever fully grieved her dementia and kind yeah. of like her loss of awareness. But at one time when she was like semi-coherent, we were slightly worried about her. She told the whole family that she wanted to marry you. <laughs> and I was like, this is the best sign of coherence, you guys. <laughs> or that's the first sign in a slow progression yes, toward yeah. the grave. Yeah. No, I, I loved her so much. And fortunately, I, you know, I got to meet her when she was fully with it. And, you know, 100%. Oh, she was a badass. Yeah. She was such a badass. I remember just how, you know, how much vigor she had. Uh, we would go down to the beach and she would just be like running in the sand. <laughs> yes, yeah. um, and she would just pull me aside and then tell me a secret and then go on. <laughs> yeah. um, and in that process, I got to hear stories of you as a little girl that you would go down just to spend time with her without your family at times, right? Yeah, I spent so many summers hanging with her and she gave me so much freedom and independence. And I look back on that now and I'm like, that was badass. <laughs> yeah. That was amazing. Uh, you, you would just go sailing. Yeah, they had a little like sunfish sailboat and I never... I I never had like any formal. You don't even know training. how to tie a knot. I know. I do. I did know how to tie a knot. Oh, you did back in the day. You forgotten I have, since. I have regressed. Yeah. Yes, surgery uh, made me forget to how, how to tie all knots. But anyway, so I would like. I just like taught myself how to sail, and I would be gone for hours, and she would be out driving her car looking for my boat in like the bay being like, "Where is Megan?" <laughs> Such a good lesson though for like mentorship, parenting, all that is just to let people express themselves in their own way, in a free way. And that's what she did. And I feel like she was almost like years be, like ahead of her time in yeah. terms of doing that. And she was so loving and amazing. But it was an interesting reflection for me this weekend because you know, I was going through all of these different emotions. I actually had this moment in the bathtub where I was just like crying yeah. and eating a sandwich. <laughs> and the sandwich had hot peppers in it. Yeah. And then I rubbed my face and my whole face was on fire. Oh no. And it was actually amazing. Yeah. This is my new hot take is we should add like capsaicin or something to our face creams and just really feel existence from like a burning face. <laughs> feel all of your emotions, yes, including grief. All at once. But no, I mean, I, I think like this weekend, I actually like couldn't feel physical pain, yeah. which is a really interesting manifestation of grief that I've never felt before. And it was an eye opener to me as a coach that like when athletes deal with grief, there's just so much, like so many different emotions yeah. and things involved with that. But then it's also like how it interacts with training. And it's just, it's hard to predict and it's different for everyone. Yeah. And I think it gave me compassion for athletes that have, have dealt with grief and have dealt with, you know, loss and, and everything in between. Definitely. It's so hard. And Mama, wherever you are, we love you so much. Oh, do like, you know where she is right now? Where is she? Oh, she's crushing her turquoise. She's sending a Strava <laughs> segment on her turquoise cruiser, being like, maybe I shouldn't pedal backwards to break. This seems yeah. a little dangerous. She's definitely listening to the podcast. Too. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so do you have any feelings? I mean, I think 
the dementia part of this is especially hard because yeah. you know you had this in- inexorably close relationship with her yeah. that had to change by mm-hmm. necessity yeah. as the way she thought about the world changed. Um, does that change how you're feeling right now at all? Like, where are you at at the moment? Well, I think it just makes me reflect on like what matters in yeah. life, which is, and it's like, you know, as this has happened, I'm like, David and Leo yeah. and my parents and my siblings. And it just makes me lean extra hard into family. And yeah. so, yeah. Also, you know, dementia does run in my family. Yeah. And you're going to be like the kindest partner when I have dementia oh. someday. <laughs> you're going to be like, I'm going to introduce myself every single day. Well, this is a surprise, actually. Oh, wow. Oh, this oh, is oh, this is the surprise. I told you I was going to surprise you before the podcast. And here it is. Um, you just pulled out your phone and I see text. You see text. Yeah, I didn't put this now in. So I know that you thought a little bit about the genetics of all of this. Like yeah. you're a genetic expert um, in terms of some of your past research. You understand that all of this is connected in some ways. And as I was running yesterday, I was trying to dedicate everything I was doing to my mom, right? I just loved her so much. And um, I was just thinking about you a little bit. So I, and I was listening to a book called The Midnight Library, which you talked oh, about. Oh, it's so before. good. One of my favorite so, books. Also, I'm so glad you like took a brief hiatus from the book and then you came back. Yes. <laughs> and it, was, it was perfect timing. So um, I'm going to read this note. We can edit it out or just shorten it oh, or something. We should totally, I don't know where this is going, yeah. but we should keep it in. Also, do know, I have, I have like my right eye right now is teary. Yeah. And I've had to tell you like six times today, like David, I'm not crying, but my right eye is just like perma crying naturally. It's weird. There is one perfect tear coming down from your right <laughs> yeah. eye right now. Before you read this, just know that it is in existence before you do it. Unfortunate. So- I feel like the scariest thing you can tell a man is I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's beautiful. Actually, you're, kind of you're, you're great with that because uh, you're a feminist. Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll start. You ass cheeks are banging. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is kind of imagining, you know, a future where things are a little different, yeah. right? Which might happen. We don't know. All of us have that. I could be the one that's going through this. So here it is. Thank you, Megan. Thank you for giving me courage I didn't know I could have. Thank you for convincing me to have a kid or possibly two or four <laughs> at the time we're reading this four? in the future. Four? Oh my gosh. I can't believe you're open to those possibilities. You're, you're, you're 85 <laughs> years old in this uh, hypothetical. When it seemed like the scariest thing in the world, for convincing me to coach, for teaching me to be happy with the parts of life that are messy and unpredictable, confusing and uncertain. Our lives changed so much each day, but your love was the constant that made it feel like anything was possible. One of your favorite books was called The Midnight Library, where the main character experienced thousands of different life paths in parallel universes, only to learn that everything was messy and unpredictable, confusing and uncertain. Each day now, our memories change in little ways that become big ways. In that way, each day is like a new life, a new universe in ways small and large. In every one of those new universes, you're going to have one constant through that uncertainty. Lots and lots of love and lots of lo- lots and lots of courage. Courage. I'm like getting ch- choked up, so I'm having trouble talking. Now, here's a cup of matcha. Let me play a podcast for you that I think you'll really like. Oh my God. David, now I have like tears streaming down my left eye and my right eye. They're like in full unison. Play through the tears, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the idea just That's being beautiful. That, you know, that book is so yeah. much about memory mm-hmm. and the way our understandings of existence change. And, you know, everything changes, right? Like sometimes it is something like dementia where literally your faculties change. But even independent of that, circumstances do. We're not the same people we were when we met. And what I can't wait to do is whether we're both all with it or not. Um, to be playing these old episodes of the podcast and holding hands when we're 85, even if you don't really know exactly who I am, um, and just 
reflecting on the life we had. Man, now I'm speechless. I'm like, <laughs> I can't talk anymore. It actually reminds me. So my sister and I were FaceTiming with my mom after this happened. And my mom was driving, so she didn't have her camera on. And my sister and I are just there like yeah. crying huge things of tears with like full-blown snot bubbles coming out. And my mom had no idea. So we were like <laughs> trying to be strong for her. And then all of a sudden she asks, are you guys okay? And there's just silence. And she turns on the camera and she's like, oh, but yeah. that's me right now because I don't know. There's no one else I'd be like rather be stuck in a repeating time loop than with you. And, you know, we'll have this podcast to be yeah. like every day is a new one in the repeating time loop. And thank you all for being here with us too. Um, you know, it's just one of those reflections when something like this happens of what really matters. Yeah. I mean, and at the end of the day too, she was, she lived a beautiful, amazing life. And I feel like I've like, you know, I'm like starting to work through this whole process, but it really does bring you back to like what matters. And that's yeah. like love and kindness and family and, you know, showing up for people each day and then putting two big old ass cheeks up <laughs> to the universe. <laughs> and you know what else matters more than what? anything in the world? It's the most important athletic news of the week which is I got a Tron bike on Zwift. Oh, yes, you did. I thought you were going to say Athletic Greens. Oh, I thought no. you were going to be like, this is time for an advertisement. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let's use this to sell some. I'm sure Mama enjoys us getting that paper, <laughs> yeah. but I don't know if that would necessarily be appropriate. But you know what she would like? What? Me climbing 160,000 feet on Zwift. So I get the bike that lights up, otherwise called the Tron bike, which performs best in that virtual world. So we t joked about this like 15 months ago on the podcast that I was going to beat Megan to it. Megan got it. I gave up my quest. And then I started questing again, embracing cross training. And sure enough, I have the light up bike now in this fake virtual world. It's, one, <laughs> it's right up there with my national championships of the best moments of my athletic life. I'm so proud that you went questing again for yeah. it. Yeah. It was all about the process. And now you have this light up bike. It's going to be just magical. You get to choose what color it is. What color is yours? Oh, it's pink because I'm a feminist is it pink? warrior. Is it really pink? Yeah. Mine's pink too. So it's pink in honor of, I, I was actually serious about this. Uh, the day I got it was the day that Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig were snubbed from the Oscars for Barbie. <laughs> yes, yeah. And so I was like, by making my bike pink, I'm making a statement that I stand with Margot and I stand with Greta. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. <laughs> but I'm so excited for that. Um, and just on a training note, before we get to the UTMB stuff, um, this weekend, off of mostly biking and some running because my knee has been hurt a little bit, um, I did a Gold Hill run with Drew, which is this famous route in Boulder. It climbs 20 miles up above the city, uh, up to like... 8,500 feet. Uh, it's really tough, uh, kind of a testing ground of Boulder athletes over time. And just mainly off of cycling being like my tempo style work, I performed as well as I ever have. And it was one of the best performances anyone's had. You guys sure. ran so well. It's so like 20 miles at altitude, a lot of dirt and gravel up there, like 3,200 feet of elevation. 3,500. 3,500. Okay. Come okay. on, Megan. Come on. Under seven minute pace. Like you guys, it was impressive. And Drew was just such a monster. Drew was a monster. But what I was thinking is, that's because of the Tron bike quest. So as you're out there, embrace the cross-training journey. It might not feel direct while you're doing it, and it isn't direct. It isn't just one-to-one. -one. Like I needed to do speed workouts to make that translate, but it did eventually translate. Okay, so you ran with Drew on Saturday. And on Friday, I was so excited. I was like, I'm going to be David's fluffer for Drew. We were going to go out. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> Which for those that don't know, fluffer is a term from pornography where a person, it's like a third person that isn't actually in the movie that keeps people engaged. Yes, aroused. Yes. yes. Well, that was going to be my job on Friday. I was like, I got to fluff these quads for David. We're going to go for a shuffle run. Yeah. And you abandoned my ass. You just wrote me that beautiful love letter, which I stand by. I love you so much, David. Yeah, yeah. But on Friday, you ditched me for a podcast shuffle run when we were going to shuffle together. Yeah. And I was like, I was going to be your quad fluffer, bitch. I, I really do enjoy my time with you, Megan. <laughs> uh, but sometimes a tech podcast comes out. I was listening to Hard Fork, a great podcast if you don't listen to it. And I was like, 
I need to listen to this. You came back in. You're telling me. I guess you also listened to Pablo Torre yeah, too. Pablo Torre, I was yeah. like, I get it. I get it. It's like Pablo Torre and then me. <laughs> yeah, that's another great one. Pablo Torre finds out an amazing sports podcast. So let's get on to UTMB updates. Uh, I feel like a lot of people are probably tuning in to this. So let's make a note of 19 minutes, whatever, so that we can just give it to the. A lot has happened in this saga. So quick, just to step back for people that are listening for the first time. UTMB is the big umbrella organization that controls tons of the biggest trail races in the world. They're expanding rapidly. Um, and in that expansion process, have started to run into more and more issues, whether it's with race permitting, where they put races, and then athlete support and things like that. And so that's all come to even more of a head um, since the more recent update we had where Killian Jornet and Zach Miller were essentially teasing a boycott. Since then, a lot has happened. Yeah, I got so excited. I feel like my hopes are really high. Like Killian and Zach, amazing people. Yeah. They each carry a lot of power and a lot of weight in terms of their voices. And they're in this so sport. respected. And I was like, something big is going to happen. There yeah. is going to be a climax. And no. fart noise. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> no, and, and, that's and I, exactly what happened. Before we get to it, but also think, we can uplift fart noise. Yeah, and, that you can <laughs> fart noise and climax. Yeah, yeah. We, we can uplift all bodily functions, which <laughs> Ash, happens sometimes. Brings us back to ass yes, cheeks. Yes, yeah. Um, but you know, I think the. Before we start here, I think it's important to say we really just want what's best for the sport and what's best for the individuals in the sport. That includes UTMB. So as we talk about this, this is some of our initial feelings. We honestly don't have a ton of inside info, though we do have some, a lot of off-the-record conversations with different people involved on both sides of the topic. And so let's start with some context here that I think is kind of relevant. Overall, UTMB seems a little bit unaware of how they've been perceived in North America. It's not a question of like um, malice. A lot of it is rooted in ignorance in the yeah. fact that like they're just over there in Europe, kind of oblivious initially to what all the hubbub was about. Well, I think they are more aware because I recently saw a job posting for a oh, yeah. it was like a marketing, like head of marketing for yeah, UTMB. A PR. A PR yeah. And like under one of the job descriptions, it was like, make this a family organization. And I'm like, damn, they have their job cut out for them. Yeah. It is a big PR job. <laughs> yes. <think> <laughs> yeah. I feel like that needs to be a movie, kind of like The Devil Wears Prada or mm, something. Yeah. The person that does that job needs to be Emily in Paris. <laughs> yeah. oh, Emily in Paris season. Oh, she'd be five. amazing at that job, oh, my actually. God. She'd be that's that's who they need. Emily in Paris. Yeah, she UTMB would be like PR. Yeah, she'd be direct, she'd be hilarious. Oh, she would tell them exactly what to do. <laughs> and she runs in that show. That's true, actually. Holy shit, we just came up with a brilliant plan. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's one piece of context. And then the other piece of context is about the financial setup of the sport. And I think this is important from a business perspective, because even if you don't care about this from like a what happens to trail races perspective, if you're just interested in business or capitalism and the way all this works, this is fascinating. So Amer Sports is filing for an IPO of which Solomon is a part, the shoe company. And they also have other, they have like Wilson, yes. Architerix, and a few other brands, some ski brands in there. So it's kind of a big sports conglomerate. But when they're filing for an IPO, you can start to understand more about like the individual holdings and the individual companies' yeah. financial um, situations. Yeah. So IPOs, uh, you know, you have to do these public disclosures. It's it, um, notoriously how we work. The company absolutely collapsed because people, when Scott Galloway got to look at their books, he's just like, the you know, this looks bad. The, the king is, wears no pants. That's not, <laughs> what that, that's not what that saying is. That's our saying. <laughs> <laughs> it <Yeah>. is now. <laughs> Something about the king and not wearing clothes. Uh, whatever that saying is. But yeah. Is it the emperor or is it the king? Emperor. <laughs> yeah. I was emperor, like, not king. Yes. Yeah. Queen. Because we're feminist warriors, actually. Oh, yes. I love that. The queen is not wearing panties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
High five, David. That was great. (laughs) Um, So within that IPO filing, we found out that Solomon's annual earnings increased by hundreds of millions of dollars year over year. Uh, We're talking 943 million. Actually, I saw some places that said over 1 billion too. Yeah. So who knows exactly? Yeah, but somewhere somewhere in that realm or domain. It's always, it depends on how, like how you cut the numbers. Yeah. And then another stat from their filing was that there has been a 2000% growth in trades being done on StockX, which is a shoe website where people can do like trades and and things like that. So it just points out that the money involved here, if this is a look into what we're seeing at people that market trail running well, is kind of insane. We're not talking about a grassroots sports anymore. We're talking about a massive financial pie. And when you have that, people are going to come in and try to take as much of it as they can. It's capitalism. It's just life. It's markets. It's not necessarily a bad thing. We're not against that necessarily, but it points out where there needs to be checks and balances and why these types of athlete pushes are so important because this type of growth unrestrained and allowed to consolidate is always going to be bad for the consumer eventually. It just might take a little bit of time. And how does that make you feel as a trail runner? Because like for me as a trail runner, one, I love pie. So I'm like, pie, lots of pie. But I mean, I feel like our sport is growing and changing and evolving so much. Does it make you feel sad to see? I mean, it, I mean, I, I'm just curious. Like I have yeah. very mixed emotions about this. How do you, how do you fall? Oh, I love it. Because I think this is just a microcosm of people finding the sport mm-hmm. and yeah. finding what's so great about it. And bigger participation yeah. numbers and everything growing and like so many opportunities growing alongside with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, what's cool. A million dollar, the old Justin Timberlake and social network. Don't think about a million. What about a billion? (laughs) Um, That's the idea here. And and these numbers are only going to grow because the magic of trail running is so immediately obvious to everyone who picks it up. Um, And the community of it is so interesting and fun to follow, not just in the sense of like, how am I participating, but in the same way the NFL is. And all of these things are interacting to mean that we're sitting on this massive reservoir of like a resource, let's say. And like, let's say that there's a ton of oil under our backyard. Eventually, someone's going to come tap that oil. It's just a question of how it happens. Can it be environmentally friendly? What can we do to provide checks and balances within that understanding that this is the new normal and we can't really do anything about it even if we wanted to? Well, as soon as you did the oil analogy, my brain was like, oh, this scares, <laughs> this scares me a little bit. But actually, I love, I feel like you're so well-versed to talk on this because of your background in sport, but also because of your law background yeah. and how you understand we're going to get into Zach and Killian and the Pro Trainers Association uh, ahead. And yeah. I feel like because of your law background, you're so well-versed to like talk in this, but I was out running uh-huh. this weekend and you were texting with Sasha and Drew. Yeah. And I was like running up and down this hill, like trying to get in some like eccentric muscle contractions. And you were just going off <laughs> on text message. And my like, my headphones read text messages oh, to me. Wow. And at one point I really need to turn this off. Yeah. And I couldn't turn it off because it was in my pack. At one point you were like going down you're like, I really believe in Henry Ford. <laughs> no, was- no, I didn't say that. No, yeah. Okay. Well, there was Henry Ford. It was there. A, no, it was a, I was, it was a, a quote that I was imagining someone else say. Okay. Okay. Yes. So the you know, you need to think about your weekend here. On Saturday, you get a text that <laughs> my mom has died. And on Sunday, you're getting me texting about UTMP. <laughs> you had so many texts. And then you had something something like, oh, I'm going to dunk on this on the podcast. No. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, but I'm not going to because yeah. I thought about a little bit more. Yeah. So to give you context on what happened, Killian and Zach sent this email to the top 15 um, ranked athletes. But the complication here is there's something called the Pro Trail Runners Association, the PTRA. This is essentially an attempt to collectively bargain across a bunch of different pro trail runners. Um, and the PTRA met with UTMB along with Killian and Zach. And that's the update we have to share because coming out of that meeting, everybody released statements. 
PTRA released a statement, UTMB released a statement, and Zach and Killian both um, did Instagram posts. And it was very confusing. So I went back through and read the PTRA statement, and I was like, hot damn, they let they let like Killian and Zach just like hang out to lunch by yeah. themselves. So I want to read the statement because I read this, and I mean, we really support, like the PTRA has done amazing things. Yeah, in and sport. They're, they're doing great things for, you know, female athletes in the sport, inclusion in general, like like follow them. There's, pregnancy deferrals. Yeah, it's like really important stuff. But I just thought it was interesting because it really showed like a lack of cohesion between yeah. Zach and Killian and PTR. And I don't know, you know, we're talking about this behind the scenes. And so it's like, we don't know which, like where the fault lies essentially. But I thought this statement was really interesting because it was not what I would have expected. Recently, we had a meeting with the UTMB board, Killian Jornet and Zach Miller, to talk about some of these issues, clarify our positions, and listen to the other parties. In particular, after an email that was sent by Killian and Zach became public on social media, causing a lot of misunderstandings and unnecessary drama. We want to point out that the PTRA was not involved in the email, which was a legit initiative by Killian and Zach. A full rep press release can be found in our website. We acknowledge the importance of finding better ways to engage in constructive conversations and collaborate, which is something that the PTRA has always tried to pursue. This is why we encourage any elite athlete to come to us, express their doubts and concerns, and work with us to find solutions in a constructive way. Yeah. And that's interesting, especially when read in conjunction with this statement. We truly believe that this can be achieved by talking and working together in an open and trustful way, not via any boycott threats, or some of the words that have been publicly mentioned. Well, that seems like a visionary statement because it's yeah. like, how do you make a difference without like a boycott or like actually taking action? Or leverage. Yes. Yeah. And the point is you don't give away leverage without a reason. Mm -hmm. And so maybe there are reasons. Maybe there are concessions being made behind oh, the scenes. Maybe we're not privy to these. But yes. Yeah. Killian and Zach's uh, grievances are real and felt and felt by a lot of runners. So there is a piece of leverage there, as we talked about in the last episode, which is your presence. And that's where the financial context of all this becomes relevant. Because when you have that much money on the other side, and even if there are really good people on that side, the trail runners that might be uniting against it need to come with a very united front. Mm -hmm. And it gets back to the principles of collective bargaining a little bit more generally. So um, my favorite example is in baseball, let's say. So in baseball, there's the Major League Baseball Players Association. It is one of the strongest unions in all of sports. Baseball contracts are fully guaranteed. You're probably aware of them. They're very good. But the, what's not told is just how much minor league players and young players get screwed in this context because the stakeholders are the people that are already in 30 years old, make a ton of money, and they voted for their interests over time. So those players make bank. But there's an entire lower class of minor leaguers and players just starting out that are under team control for six damn years before they can get to free agency. It's a long time. Long yeah. time. And it's all because you know they don't have the bargaining power. And then if they ever do get to the level that they're the 30-year-old superstars, then they're going to start voting for their interests too. So how that is relevant here is that in trail running, we have some major leaguers. Let's say Killian and Zach are two of them. There aren't very they're many. They're Hall of Famers. Yes. yes. And there yeah. aren't very many of them. There's a couple dozen, let's say, or a few dozen. And those people, the people that Killian and Jornet and Zach were trying to organize a little bit separately from PTRA are the ones that truly have the power. Whereas, you know, the number of runners that are up and coming, there is power fully united, but it needs to be a little bit more cohesive because in running, like you essentially just have a really big lower class of professional athletes. Well, the incentive structures are different. If you think yeah. about it, like Killian and Zach have already excelled at UTMB. Like they've already benefited from it. And then there's this like whole host of professional trail runners that are up and coming that, you know, have totally different incentive structures. Yeah. And I think that's when it becomes hard is, is like, 
they essentially like in order to make an actual difference at yeah. UTMB have to do stuff that is not self-serving for themselves. Definitely, yeah. And I actually, I have empathy for that. Like that's, that's really hard. It's a hard position to be in on both sides. And that's why Killian and Zach, what they did was so courageous. Yes, exactly. Because it really is against your own interests. But then the problem is they can go against their own interests. Yes. And it's different than the up and comers going against their own interests mm-hmm. because the up and comers need the opportunity to break through. They might be giving away their entire career for that. So I understand why the PTRA was a little bit like maybe upset in some ways yes. with the way it was presented. Especially if Zach and Killian didn't give them advance warning. Like we don't know what the communication structure was between Zach and Killian and the PTRA ahead yeah. of time. But I feel like in order for this to work, there has to be that cohesion because otherwise the force is just not strong enough. Yeah, that's the point. And it gets back to the leverage here. Whenever you have a union, you need a really strong uh, front mm-hmm. in that way. And so Yes, Killian and Zach, maybe they went a little bit out of line, let's say, reading behind the lines here. But once they did, you're given the best bargaining chip imaginable mm-hmm. by these this courageous action. And you know, you think about the United Auto Workers this summer and how they did these coordinated strikes to just make it clear that they could you know, really make this industry difficult to, to operate. Similarly, Killian and Zach are just essentially doing a little coordinated strike. And it's enough to cause some blowback. And it was. It really started to ignite it. And this combination of statements seems to indicate that we might be at a place where, honestly, UTMB is on really good footing now. And UTMB so, took the power back, yeah. unfortunately. I want to read this. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, this statement is wild. So this is what the UTMB statement came out. And it's like, damn, they actually did a good job. I hand it to them in terms of like re-exerting power. And it hurts my heart to say that. But like, yeah. if you are a business CEO, it's like, fuck, this was good. So Emily this, and Chamonix. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> Emily and Paris absolutely nailed this shit. It says, the PTRI wishes to clarify, contrary to what appeared in the press, that it was in no way involved in the initiative of Killian Dornet and Zach Miller. So they're discrediting the PTRA and in context also too discrediting Zach and Killian yeah. for all of them not being united. Um, and I just think like, yeah. By them being able to say that, it kind of just like pokes holes in the opposition. Yeah. And so basically, let's let's give a summary here. I think we're at a point now from what we're seeing and what we're hearing a little bit that any type of like united front approach to UTMB is probably not going to happen. Um, that there was pushback behind the scenes. There must have been mm-hmm. yeah. about what Killian and Zach did because you know people understand that their lives are all in the sport. And Honestly, UTMB is trying, it seems, even though they're facing these financial pressures that might incentivize sometimes actions that don't seem good from our perspective, but maybe they don't even understand our perspective coming from North America. Well, what I was going to say too is, is like, I think a lot of what they were doing before could be considered ignorance. And I think it's hard because it's like the company culture, I think, is set in a way that's not super helpful. And then they have this ignorance, but it also takes a long time for like forces to shift within a company. And I think they are trying to shift, uh, but I just, I think it's going to take time. Yeah. And so Zach Miller had a great post as well. The next step is to take action. Killy and I are not here only for conversation. We are here for change. UTMB has expressed to us that they are working for the good of the trail running community. It is our hope that we can work with them to find a positive way forward. Talking is indeed an action, and I'm grateful for this first step. But in running, we take not one stride, but many. So here's to the next actionable step. Let's help each other finish the race. Yeah. This is a great statement, actually. It is a great statement, actually, yeah. And I, think and I love Zach, out, yeah. And I think it just points out that, like, this isn't the first thing, but for now, if you're doing UTMB or anything like that, I'm pretty sure that things are just going to kind of go back to normal, but with more communication. So maybe at the end of the day, that's all PTRA is really looking for is this communication structure that essentially 
uh, it's taken into account, much like a local meeting. Let's mm-hmm. say, yeah. In in my old life, I would often go into Louisiana, and you would have these community meetings. We've seen them on Parks and Rec. They're very much like that, where the counselors or the council people would get up there and just be listening as community members got up and spoke their grievances. Maybe that's what PTR is looking for. It's essentially just a voice and then to hear them say, we hear you, we were addressing it this way, and then go from there. Um, but I think the time of boycotts and things like that has passed with this opportunity. I th- so whether that's good or bad is up to history to decide and, and the community to decide. Um, but at least for now, I don't think it's coming from the professional athletes. Yeah. Where do you think we're going to go or where do you think, what do you think is going to happen in terms of like UTMB and athletes racing and support? Like, do you think there's going to be like a gradual, like a gradual acceptance of UTMB and their policies yeah. and what they're doing to local races? How, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think, uh, I think there's a moment here where things might not look like that and maybe I'm wrong here. Um, but I think we're with this kind of puncturing of the leverage that mm-hmm. existed with Killian and Zach, it's an indication that on the whole, the professional athletes that might be able to act um, have decided that at least individually, it doesn't make sense from a cost benefit analysis. Yes. Yeah. I think it makes sense based mm-hmm. on union theory in general, that the union really needs to have a coordinated set of asks. Well, yeah, the union can't just be Killian and Zach. And, it, and also they need to know exactly what they want mm-hmm. and ask for it. Yep. And be willing to incur personal issues with that or, mm-hmm. you know, like personal loss. Um, and I just don't think that applies here necessarily. Well, is that union? I mean, my understanding of unions too, though, and this is different from like the PTRA and trail runners is that like, if you are part of a union though, you're often fighting for something to gain. Yeah. And I feel like the challenge here is that like trail runners are not really fighting for something to gain individually, yes, individually yeah. like on an individual level besides the like gratitude and like the appreciation that we're like taking down this like big ass organization yeah. but like personally like it's just it's a very different situation than i would say a union exactly and i think that that might be part of the problem here yeah and is that there's just an offset necessarily between um personal incentives that it would exist in a union structure versus individual incentives that are going to exist for the specific style of trail running where it's not necess- it is kind of major leaguers and minor leaguers and the minor leaguers are trying to be major leaguers mm-hmm. and the only way to do that right now is kind of through this one gate yeah so after all of that i'm going to put my optimist hat on you're going to put an optimist hat on yes. actually this is the hat that's like tattered and worn <laughs> and hanging out in our closet because you bring it out a lot <laughs> yeah it has like arrows sticking out of it from all the times <laughs> yeah. it was wrong it wasn't the right approach but i actually think the optimist hat is the right one to wear here so let's look at from at it from all three perspectives mm-hmm. uh the first is uh, Zach and Killian. I think that their actions did not go for naught. I think that by doing the letter, they essentially created this situation where there was leverage for conversations to happen between the PTRA and UTMB mm-hmm. that were going to be fundamentally meaningful. And then PTRA seized upon that leverage. And so it wasn't that they gave up the leverage necessarily. It was just that what they thought they could do is make all of this happen from financial incentives mm-hmm. to local race directors in like constructive ways, um, in conversation-based ways, that talking actually could be the answer here. And I think it could be because UTMB saw this too. And they had a punch in the gut and realized, okay, this is for real. We're hiring a PR team. Emily in Paris is going to help us. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, 
I think that everything is coming together for a future where the pros get prize money, the start lines are equitable, and local race directors get benefits. Um, and it all started from this groundswell of support from the community, from this letter from Zach and Killian, and now PTRA stepping up, taking the reins, and hopefully having these conversations that really drive the sport forward. Well, I love your Optimus hat. I think it's sexy. I think it's amazing. I love it. <laughs> I'm slightly more skeptical because I feel like the PTRA is doing amazing things. Zach and Killian obviously doing amazing things, but they're literally up against the force of capitalism that's coming into <laughs> a market that has like many billions of dollars, evidenced by what we've seen with Solomon's earnings. And yeah. things along those lines. And it just seems like a really hard force to push back against. And I don't know. I mean, yeah. maybe talking in conversations can do that. Maybe Emily in Paris for UTMB and like thinking yeah. about PR will do that. But I think we need, I think this is not the end of the conversation. I don't think it's the end of the conversation either. But I think that, you know, essentially that old saying, like, if you come at my money, we have a problem. <laughs> yeah. And I think here, UTMB realized that they can come at the money. And that it's instead of being a problem, what it's going to be is, all right, we need to, you know, respond to what happens next. So yes, it's just the start of the conversation. And I think Zach Killian and the PTRA are going to take it from here. And it's going to lead to fantastic places. And you know what, Megan? What? I'm going to get you a hat. It's <laughs> dirty. It has some bullet holes in it. It has some arrows sticking out of it. And it's going to be for an optimist because this is going to go great. And it's going to say fantastic places on top of it. I feel like that could be the name of your novel is fantastic places. It sounds kind of like a mythical world because, you know, I don't know if it exists. I mean, I believe in fantastic places. I just don't know if this is going in fantastic directions. It's going to be amazing. And we'll keep you updated if anything else happens, but probably that's the end. And we're going to officially call this title. I was thinking about it yeah. before we started. UTMB Strikes Back, much like the Empire in Star Wars. Oh, that's an amazing final sentence. I was kind of sitting here and I was like, damn, if this is the end of the trilogy, we better end on a banger of yeah. a sentence. And I think that was it. Well, uh, Killian in this yes. is... Han Solo, and Zach Miller is Chewbacca. Oh, oh Zach Miller's the best Chewbacca. That's <laughs> best so Chewbacca. good. Chewbacca who just like sends waffles. Yeah. And we're some people that don't actually make the movies commenting on what's happening. I know. These people are like those damn YouTube commenters. No one talks about the podcasts that existed in the Star Wars universe, but someone <laughs> should. Okay. Let's go on to the Olympic trials. Uh, so- this weekend in Orlando, the Olympic marathon trials are going down. One of the biggest races we'll ever see on U.S. soil. So damn competitive. So exciting. It's going to be hot. They actually moved the start time back from noon. We covered that before. They moved it back to 10, which seems a little bit more reasonable. Yeah. Still going to be hot. It's still going to be, be spicy. Pretty high dew point, but not insane. It, yes, you know, yeah. There's always a chance in Florida that you get one of those 85 and muggy days. It seems like that weather pattern has passed. They got it a couple weeks ago, as I've heard from athletes in Florida. Now, it's realistic. So we're going to choose a really good team. It's not the uh, horror stories we all might have worried about. You're talking about weather like the stomach bug. You're like, they got it a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> it too has passed. Florida will never be a shithole of an inferno again. Megan, I'm a dad now. And <laughs> all dads, weather is our main source of conversation topics. Actually, weather is like my always source. I'm I'm a sucker for weather. I, I remember I, talking to my mom a lot about weather. Oh, well, my mom loved it. Maybe that's where I watched the Weather Channel as a five-year-old and loved it. It yeah. was amazing. Anyways, but it's going to be hot there. And it's going to be spicy. And what are your takes for some of the top front runners at the race? So I think we should just get into some picks, some dark horses. Do it pretty fast um, since we're going to talk about it after the fact a little bit. Um, so I'll give my picks first. And then you give your picks. What do you think? Perfect. Yeah, we actually haven't reviewed these. So I'm curious to see our overlap. Awesome. So for men, I'm choosing Clayton Young and Connor Mance to go mm -hmm. one, two. Ooh, interesting partners. teammates. Yes. And then Paul Cholimo uh, coming from the track, a track Olympian to get the third spot. 
um, all are incredible athletes, but Paul Chalimo is the true, like, um, unexpected person in this mix. And I think knowing how great he is, he's going to be the guy that really surprises. Yeah. I actually had a very similar mix. So I also have Connor Mance. He's a crusher. We just watched a workout video with him and Clayton Young. What was interesting though, is I'm actually not going to choose Clayton Young, is Clayton Young got dropped in the workout video. But it made me question actually, I think Connor Mance was not doing the prescribed workout in the video. He was running like 10 to 15 seconds per mile faster. And every time he runs, it looks like he's sprinting. Yeah, It's a very interesting, like he looks like that for an entire marathon. It's actually quite impressive. So you're picking him, but not Clayton. Yeah, but Maybe I think Clayton was running the. Clay, I was gonna say Clayton was doing the smart workout. Yeah. I actually, I you know, I feel, but Connor Mance is very strong, so I'm gonna go Connor Mance. Yeah, Paul Chalimo. Whoa, okay, and Scott Fowle here. Oh, yeah, in so he runs with Team Boss. He's here in Boulder. He's had amazing success at Boston, been the top American at Boston several times, and I just like him. And you know, he's a fan of burritos. So okay, my I have a soft spot in my heart for burritos. <laughs> <laughs> Not Shelby burritos. Not Shelby burritos. That's true. No, no, no Scott Fowle is like true, authentic, uh, non Nandrolone yeah. based burritos. Total boss. Um, okay. Just throwing out a few other names. Uh, CJ Albertson. Both of us are really big fans of him. And if he got it, we would be very happy. He is the wildest Strava of all time and does just truly bonkers workouts. Well, we were talking about like, he has like all these heat lamps on him and boiling pots as he's like doing some Peloton workouts, training with Bex Gentry. (laughs) We talked about this on a podcast episode once, but you know, it was interesting. What? So we talked about it on a podcast on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, I saw that he went out and bought a humidifier. (gasps) I was like, I wonder if he got podcast influence. Whoa. So I questioned. Sick. I was like, why are you boiling water when you can have a humidifier? CJ, if you listen to the podcast, hit us up. Yeah, he's you're, amazing. We respect the hell out of him. You can get free gear. We're going to get you so much athletic <laughs> yeah. greens. Do you think he wants free gear? <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. That's true. He probably would want athletic greens. <laughs> Everyone he might just like greens. boil it and see what happens when you like dehumidify athletic yeah. greens in the air. Well, everyone wants athletic greens, which is a perfect segue before we get to the picks for the women of an ad. So drinkag1.com slash swap SWAP. This stuff is so good. Both of us notice major changes in our heart rates and, you know, our stress levels and everything. So drinkag1.com slash swap. If you are on the fence, just give it a try. Try one month. You get five free bonus packs. You get vitamin D with that. Um, and what we've seen is when we try to convince people like that, they'll get it. And they'll be like, all right, David and Megan, I understand now why I did it. It makes sense. It makes me feel so good. Also, I think it's great for immunity. And I was reflecting on the Olympic trials, how hard it is that this one day of the year that happens every yeah. four years determines like whether you go to the Olympics. And like you could have a cold, you could have like an upper respiratory. Like it's kind of wild to think about like the number of possibilities. But I think if you have athletic greens, <laughs> you're probably going to show up at the start line. That's my take. <laughs> yeah. So as always, it's basically a multivitamin um, with adaptogens. Totally recommend it. Drinkag1.com slash swap, S-W-A-P. On to the women's race. Um, So much fun going down here. I feel like- The women's field is so deep. It's so deep. But at the very top end, I feel like picks are generally consolidating a little bit. So I'll be curious to see- if we're overlapping. That's true. I actually think there's going to be slightly di- different tactics in the men's race versus the women's race. Yeah. So only two of the men have the Olympic standard. So you have oh, to run yeah. under 208 to be able to actually tow the line at the Olympics. Or there's like two other criteria. I think it's like top five at a world marathon major or like top 65 ranked in the world. I'm just, ima- the fact that you knew that is pretty bonkers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm imagining like it's on the um, whiteboard at Harvard. Yeah. And, you know, the janitor comes by, Matt Damon, and he just looks at it and is like, I understand Olympic qualifying. And then the principal's like, 
or the uh, professor's like, you solved that? And then it's the new Goodwill hunting. Yeah, I was going to say, the beautiful mind, there's going to be like equations everywhere. And they're gonna be like, you, you go to the <laughs> Olympics. Uh, but because there's only two men, I think the race is going to go out. Like, I think there's going to be some people that take it out really fast because yeah. they need that Olympic standard. Whereas for women, I think it's going to be more of like a tactical race, yeah. especially given the heat. So I'll be curious to kind of see how that plays out. Well, it'll be interesting because, you know, tactical races don't play into everyone's hands. Exactly. And yeah. the US now has some women marathoners in particular that are they're just, closers. Just clo- closers, but then also people that are insanely good. Like, do you want to make it so that, like, let's say it's a 225 race that Des Linden's in it. I don't want Des Linden to be in it in the last six miles if I'm any of these racers. Because mm-hmm. even though she's, you know, not 30 anymore, she's freaking unstoppable in those champion moments. And so I'd be worried about that. In fact, I saw a tweet from her that said in the first 20 miles, you know, I'm going to be relaxed or something like that. And then the last six miles, I'm going to go full Isaiah Pacheco, <laughs> which if you haven't watched the Kansas City Chiefs play, Isaiah Pacheco is the running back that just looks like he's angry at the ground. And I'm like, oh man, if she's going full Pacheco, she's going to win if this is a race. She totally would too. Yeah. She speaks her mind and she goes for it. So do you have her in the top picks? I do not. Yeah. Um, though that would be amazing. And that would be my sentimental pick. Um, that's not where I'm going. I'm going with Emily Sisson, uh, Betsy Sena, and Kira D'Amato as my top three. Oh, I love it. Actually, very similar. I have two overlap with you. So I also had Emily Sisson, Betsy Sena, but then I had Athene Tuliamuk. Oh, yeah. She won um, last year's yeah. trials, or not last year's, four years ago's trials, and um, had a baby, came back, competed in the Olympic marathon, and has been kind of on fire since. Yeah. She's had some strong performance. So she's, she's, she's a little been, injury, right? Yeah, so. she's, she's sometimes a little, as I'm like shaking my hand here, she's slightly injury prone at times. Um, but when she's on her game, she's really on her game. So, so who do you think wins? Emily Sisson. Okay, I'm going Betsy Sena. Ooh, okay. Yeah. We'll go one, two against that. For men, who do you think wins? Connor Mance. Okay, I'm going Clayton Young. Mm-hmm. Oh, shoot. Um, Actually, I would love that because the workout video, if I was Clayton Young and, you know, Connor Mance is out there just like ripping reps way faster than he's supposed to and it's like videoed and you're way back there, I'd be a little pissed. Yeah, it's a great video. Go watch it. Yes, um, but I want him I want him to have redemption. I yeah. want him to go crush some bitches after that workout video. He's ready. Uh, throwing another name out there, Leonard Career for men. Uh, for women, my big uh, sentimental pick that I actually think could shock the world is Jenny Simpson from here in Boulder. Oh, true. Uh-huh. Olympic yeah. world champion, I think. Actually, world champion. 1500 meter runner, classically. How cool is that to move up to the marathon? And every single time I see her near our house running, I just pass her and, you know me, I'm running pretty damn slow. And I see Jenny. And she is just running so fast. And by passer, you mean you're going opposite directions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, no. yeah. <laughs> she's passing me many times when she's going the same direction as me. And every time I see her, I'm like, she could be a great marathoner one day because she's running fast all the time. I see her doing a lot of loops on Kara's loop, which mm-hmm. is that um, it's called Ted's Lasso on Strava, a name I gave it, of course. But that's kind of the marathoner loop. And she does so much of that, which is hilly, dirt terrain. So she's very strong. Um, I'm going to pick her. She's going to be my uh, sentimental favorite to shock the world. Do you know who's my dark horse for women? Nell Rojas. Oh. She's also a boulder-based athlete. She's very strong. She's had a couple of very strong performances at Boston and courses that like are hilly and require strength. And Orlando is not that. Yeah. But I can feel, I feel like she's just going to show up with like fire on the day. Yeah, she's a beast. She's a beast. I saw her at the also, track one day and it was just me out there. So I was there to do a track workout and I finished and she was there with her coach. Nobody else there. And she must have done. So I went and did my cool down. You know me. I, I really beat around the bush. You really do. You take out the trash between <laughs> yeah. like between your workout and your cool down. Yeah. I do so much out there. <laughs> yeah. I come back like 45 minutes later and she's doing, it must have been like 5K intervals on the track 
over and over and over again. So yeah, if she's bringing that fire, you never know what could happen with Nell. She's strong. Also, I just love alternate training approaches. And she does a lot of strength training in conjunction with running. And I'm like, be a strong ass woman on that starting line. And I really uplift it. Yeah. Hopefully her knee doesn't get hurt like mine did. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure she's well past the like the re-intro phase of lifting where yeah. you do like one squat and you're like, oh, my knee. Well, you got two Christmas hams from lifting <laughs> yeah. and I just got one knee that got fucked. You so got I'm a just, knee boil. I'm back to being like, you know what? Less less strength for me. Um, in fact, I'm going to do a little segue before we get to the coach's question um, because this is relevant on a coaching approach. Um, Olive Alexander Boo for strength training, he's the coach of um, the Norwegian triathletes. So Christian Blumenfeld, Gustav Eiden, he does an approach where they don't do any strength training, which you would think wouldn't happen at that level of sport, Olympic champion level, Kona champion. But his theory is that essentially it's just limited stress. And when you have limited stress and you're training that much for endurance training- For context, they're training like 35, 40 hours a week. Yeah. Yes. And so yes, I don't train that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I've got to 10 hours, but still I'm going to be channeling that energy. <laughs> Why well, it goes to show, I mean, I feel like in coaching, there's just so many different philosophies out there yeah. that work. And I feel like that's the cool thing about the human body is it responds to so many different stimuli. But yes, they're training 35 to 40 hours a week. And I imagine that if you added some squats on top of that, it just might tip the scales yeah. of recovery. <laughs> you know what I was going to make my uh, Strava title for my run with Drew at Gold Hill is I was like, oh, I have a really good one. Um, is that old Lance Armstrong commercial back when we were kids where he was just training in the driving rain. He's like, people want to know what I'm on. What am I on? I'm on my bike six hours a day, busting my ass. <laughs> what are you on? Okay. So I wanted to take that because yes. a lot of people remember that yes. and say, people want to know what I'm on. And I was a bit, I'm on my laptop typing 10 to 12 hours a day, <laughs> curled up like a shrimp. What are you on? But it's amazing recovery. Yeah. It works for me. Yeah. And you're on athletic greens. <laughs> <laughs> but I have shrunk like an inch and a half. So that, that affects me. Okay. Let's get on to the coaching question. Uh, good segue there. So here it is from Patreon. As always, answer tons of questions on Patreon. We are up to 87 bonus episodes. So if you're not signed up there, please go sign up. It's the way to support the podcast. Patreon.com slash swap, S-W-A-P. So much Friday fun on there. Yeah. Like we enjoy it. We love interacting with people on there. I feel like it's really truly become a community. Such a great community and big science post. We have one on heart rate and the intricacies of heart rate. That is 6,000 words. <laughs> yeah. Very fun. And also there, we give our true opinions that do not sometimes make Trail Runner Magazine. There's a lot of spice on there. There's a lot of spice. Yes. Hopefully no one pays $5 to cancel us. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, here's the question. Hi, I had a question. Are there other coaches in either ultra running or from other sports that you guys look up to? I heard a wild podcast with Olav, the coach we just talked about, um, and it got me thinking. I'm not a triathlete, but I found somehow thinking about optimizing performance across multiple disciplines helped me understand my own running even better. Where are the places you guys go for inspiration? Or is it just deep in the primary research? This, I love this. Well, we go deep in the library. We go hard on the library. We go hard in that damn library. But then, gosh, there's so many good coaches. And I feel like you can yeah. actually have access. Like, There's various YouTube videos that kind of like highlight coaching philosophy. Like, You can yeah. see coaches coaching athletes through workouts. And actually, this makes me think of a video that we watched. Was it Track Access? Was that what track it's called? Track Access, yes. Yes. With make, They make great videos. They also made the video with Clayton Young yes, and Hunter Mance. That we were referring to. Interesting. That one was a little less interesting because they were just doing like four by three miles. Just and they showed doing, the whole thing. Yes. It and was hypnotic. It was very hypnotic. They were running so fast on roads that were not meant to be running fast on. Yeah. And at one point, Connor Mance almost got plowed by like a semi-truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a little horrifying, but that was like the climax of the. So if Connor Mance hit a semi-truck. It would just fall over. The semi-truck itself would <laughs> yes, go flipping. Exactly. Um, yeah. In fact, I almost had a psychedelic experience watching Connor Mance run, um, which is in a little bit contrast to the joy I got 
from the video with Nico Young and Mike Smith that you're referring to. So this is at Northern Arizona where Nico Young, absolute superstar, he just ran a 1257 5K actually. He ran so fast. And what I love about that 1257 5K was he had run a really fast mile up at altitude, up at 7,000 feet in Arizona. And there were so many like altitude truthers coming out of nowhere that were like that conversion. It converted to a a fast sea level based time. People like didn't believe in altitude. And I was like, what's wrong with people? Especially when you see Nico Young's ability in this particular workout. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit. This is a champion. So the workout itself was really fascinating. And one of the first takeaways we had is just how weird the workout was. Like there are total rationales for it in training theory, but none in the primary literature. Like Mm -hmm. you could not find one study that really supports the particular style of workout where he did like an 800 and then he did a hard 2K and then he did 800s and then 400. Then he did a threshold mile. Um, You know, it it was clearly coming from Mike Smith's personal expertise where he's grounded in the research, but he's developed his training theory through mentorship with other coaches and things like that. But what was most powerful, I think, was seeing the interactions with Nico. Seeing that coach-athlete relationship in practice was so cool. Mike Smith, I love him. Well, first of all, his training theory holds. He has coached so many champions. So yeah. Nico Young is amazing. He coaches Nikki, Nikki Holtz. They just set an American record in the 1K indoors. And he just has like this like history of coaching legends in sport. But alongside that, he is like kind and reserved, yeah. but he's hilarious. Like I just <laughs> the way that he interacts, how would you describe how he interacted with Nico? Like it was like calm, yeah. cool, composed like dripping swag and confidence, but also being like fun and lighthearted at the same time. Excited, I would say. Yeah. Like, it was clear that like he was nervous about this one too, but in a really self-assured type of way. Um, and I think that you could almost see Nico absorbing that a mm-hmm. little bit. And it's clear that Mike Smith brings that to his athletes. And so the reason I wanted to mention that at the start is he's just one of the many coaches we look up to, but it's not about primary research. Like maybe a few percent of what we do is informed by primary research, but it's much more about how does the physiological facts react, interact with the psychological realities of what it takes to do this every day and then to perform an account. Like, mm-hmm. Because all of this at the end of the day comes from the brain first, like the ability to show up, the ability to do it, the ability to believe in yourself, the ability to care. And when you're a coach, someone is letting you deep into their souls. Which is a gift. Yeah. It's a gift, but it's, it's also, also, it's like you're carrying scary. that weight. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that old saying that they have that like, the five people you're around most are the people whose personalities you end up becoming over time. When you're a coach, for the people you're coaching, you're often in that top five. Usually you're Mm -hmm. in that top five, just by the nature of the way, the amount of trust they're putting in you, the amount that their days are scheduled based on what you're doing. So the energy you're bringing, the type of person you are matters as much as your training theory, or at least it should. And that's where people like Mike Smith are who we look up to to start because yes, they do the training theory, but also they do the interpersonal stuff. Um, And that brings us to a 2019 study in the psychology of sport and exercise that we wanted to talk about. It's called Emotional Games, How Coaches' Emotional Expressions Shape Players' Emotions, Inferences, and Team Performance. And I like how they structured the study. So they did a pilot study first in baseball, and they had coaches retrospectively report the emotions that they expressed during the game. Then they wound up doing a follow-up study, and they're like, hey, we're going to change sports. We're going to go look at soccer. And so in um, like interacting with coaches that were coaching soccer, they had they assessed emotions before, during, and after the game of the coaches and the players to understand if there was a, like a relationship between coaches' emotions yeah. and players' emotions during the game. I love this study design. Yeah. So the second study essentially let them confirm the hypothesis from the first study. Exactly. Yeah. The retrospective analysis, it's always a little tricky. Oh yeah. There's always, there's tons of bias built yeah. into that. And it's really helpful once you have 
kind of this pilot data to go, okay, like we're going to do a second study and expand off this. So here's the money quote from the article. Coaches' expressions of happiness and anger predicted, one, players' experiences of happiness and anger, two, players' inferences about the quality of their performance, and three, objective team performance outcomes. Regarding team performance, results indicated that coaches' expressions of happiness were conducive to team performance, whereas expressions of anger were not. Um, So that makes sense to a certain extent because, you know, generally people aren't really happy when they're losing. So, you know, maybe there's some confounding here that it's just kind of an obvious result. But I think it also points out that athletes, by the nature of the trust relationship... I was going to say, they're in a vulnerable power relationship with a coach. And I think athletes often are like empathic people and they're going to take on some of like the coach's qualities and personalities and how the coach is feeling. And especially on a team, like I feel like too, especially you have a few top players who really like feel and buy into that. It impacts the like perceptions of the other players. Yeah. There's some great studies on that too. Mm -hmm. And you know, it points out it's not just about the winning and losing. I think coaching is about the character and how does all of this interact outside of competition? There aren't great studies on that, but if you believe in the mentorship relationship of a coach, of a boss, of a friend, any of that stuff, you have to think about the character of people you're letting into your lives. And so for us, when we're looking at coaches we look up to, we look to their interpersonal character more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And the converse is also true, that bad people cannot be good coaches. I don't care what their results ever are. They are not good coaches. They are bad people. Um, So another example of someone we really look up to here is Diljit Taylor. She's a coach at BYU. She's coached, um, actually coached several championship teams. And I feel like she's been, she really cares deeply about like the mental health of her athletes and the well-being of her athletes. And to me, that gets at a core value of being a coach is you have to be in it for the long term of an athlete, not just for the athletic performance, but also about like life and their fulfillment and where they're going to be in 20 years, not just tomorrow. Yeah. And basically you can find coaches like that in every sport. Um, that know the science, that know what they're supposed to do, but also deeply care about the people. And so uh, coaches that are up and coming in trails that I think ever, the world's going to know about soon, Ryan Miller and Jenny Quilty, two superstars. Uh, Lindsay Herman is another. There's so many great ones out there. Um, and, and you know, obviously a, a ton we're not mentioning that we look up to. And then in other sports, um, Dan Campbell, who we talked about last week, the coach of the Detroit Lions, D'Amico Ryans of the Texans, um, Mike McDaniel of the Dolphins, Pete Carroll of the Seahawks, all of these people create um, cultures where love is at the core, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was a video of Dan Campbell after uh, their last game. And he said, I love you seven different times to the team. And that's basically what it is. It's like, love doesn't mean like, you know, you're going to kiss him on the mouth. <laughs> um, in fact, that's not a good thing. In coaching. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. There yeah. have been coaches that do that. <laughs> do not cross that power relationship. Yes. yes. We do not agree with that style of coaching. Um, but that sign of caring, mm-hmm. caring about the person as much as you care about the athlete, I think is what truly makes a great coach. I love that statement because I feel like sometimes coaching is just a microcosm of broader life philosophies. Yeah. And so it's like, I feel like really understanding those from a coach and making sure that you align with those in parallel is helpful. But this makes me think of Tara Vanderveer. Mm. And she's been in the news recently because she's the winningest coach in college basketball history. She just surpassed Coach K, who has a very special place in my heart. And <laughs> she's been at Stanford now for so many seasons. She's won three NCAA titles. She's 70 and she has so much life wisdom. I'm like, show me your yeah. ways. Yeah, well, I think it's one of the cool things about coaching really long-term is the life wisdom that mm-hmm. you develop, not because of you having any special ability, but because when athletes let you into their lives, even in really small ways, you get to live little lives. Um, you know, it may be one, one trillionth of a life, mm-hmm. but enough of that adds up so that you develop a, a 
like just a way of looking at the world as long as you have that open and loving perspective. And that's exactly what Tara Vanderveer has. And she tries to learn from so many different people. And she actually, there was an article on her in the New York Times that was beautiful. Go check it out because she has some quotes in there that will blow your mind in terms of like leadership and coaching and life philosophy. But here was one of hers on learning. I'm also not afraid to take risks and experiment. We ran one kind of offense for at least 12 years very successfully. When our team personnel changed, I studied the quote Princeton offense and thought it fit our team better. We won the NCAA in 2021 running that offense. Also, I am a lifelong learner. From professors, assistants, players, I watch other Stanford teams practice and ask coaches about their training methods. And I watch so much basketball. I'm a copier who gets ideas from other basketball coaches. Wow, what a quote. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's like to be able to learn from other people and have your mind changed. Like for me, it's always a gift when I learn something new and I'm like able to change my mind on something. I'm like, oh, this is this is great. And I feel like Tara Vanderveer has that. She's like mimicking other coaches. She's really studying materials and like the flexibility to do that. Even at age 70, when you think someone would be more calloused in their worldview. But I think often for the best coaches, it's the opposite. Like their minds are just more flexible and open with age. It's one thing I love about you so much. You're almost open to a fault. (laughs) Um, And and it gets to a complication, I think sometimes, which is you can be open and then also doubt yourself. Yes, that's true. And get to a point where you don't have that confidence. And you've reached the point where you've gotten the confidence as a coach. But like, how do you bridge that divide from openness as like a young coach and it's starting out to this like self-assuredness that's also open. And I think that divide from like young coach to badass baller experienced coach is one that's the hardest to bridge sometimes for people that are starting out. It's so hard. And I think it gets down to like anything in training. It's just reps over and over again. And then having some sort of like grounded philosophy that's flexible. Like I think the basic core values of who you are as a coach and a person need to stay solid. That way you're not just like ping ponging all over the place. But then like the nuances of training theory or like some of the smaller things or Princeton offense is a pretty large thing. <laughs> like some of those things, I feel like it's helpful to be more flexible on. I love the idea of the Princeton offense. I know. I what about like of- Princeton offense versus Harvard offense? Yeah. It's like, which one ruins the world? Just kidding. <laughs> no, There's there- amazing people. Actually, I feel like 50% of people that come out of Harvard, like save the world and yeah. cure cancer. And then the other 50%, it's like, do not touch the nuclear codes. Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I was thinking the Princeton offense, actually any Ivy League offense is just embezzling money from the hedge fund where you're <laughs> yeah. an intern. That's, that's what they're offenses yeah. are for the most part. Which to be fair, might win in the NCAA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, those are the 50% that uh, make the world a little bit tougher. Yeah. But as we were talking about, I love what you said about young coaches. Yeah. And I think being, we've coached athletes who then go on to become young coaches. And like, you always have to start somewhere. This actually makes me think of the final coach that we're going to talk about today, Aaron Matson. So yeah. Aaron Matson was an all-star field hockey player at UNC, like the Michael Jordan of field hockey. She's won several national titles. She holds the record for the most goals scored in, in the NCAA. Well, if she's fully the Michael Jordan of field hockey, was she suspended for two years <laughs> secretly for gambling? Nope. Yep. That's the big conspiracy theory <laughs> yeah. about why he went and played baseball is that David Stern suspended him because he had a gambling problem. Oh, I didn't realize that. But, I mean, probably not true, but I I do really like grasping on to kind of harmless conspiracy theories. (laughs) Like, you know, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, definitely a plant by State Farm to sell insurance. (laughs) Um, Just like anything, any conspiracy that's just kind of random, I kind of like, uh, not the serious ones. I went down the rabbit hole of like looking at all the images from them, from the game. And I was like, I just want to see them hugging and kissing and embracing. It was heartwarming. I'm one of those football fans that only tunes into the Chiefs now specifically for the times they show Taylor Swift. For the People magazine, like review of it. To be serious, I like to joke about the conspiracy, but their relationship 
is what gives me hope in the world. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, 2024 is going to bring a lot of stress. A lot of different things are going to happen. Um, you know, personal tragedy is going to happen. Like, you know, we've already gone through some grief. Um, political stuff is going to be tough. But the one thing we have is Swift and Kelsey. <laughs> they better stay together. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be the ultimate personal tragedy if they broke up. But it brings me back to the swag of Erin Matson. So she was actually the number one, like during her playing career. And I always looked as I was, I was a player, my number was 33. And it kind of symbolized what I felt like as a player, which was like, I just want to be like in the middle of the number field. I don't want to be like number one or zero or number 13. Wait, wait, wait. No, that's not the case. Because think about two threes. What are they? Actually, four ash cheeks. <laughs> That's true. Oh four my god! Four ash cheeks for the haters. I should have. You know what? I was not. I didn't have enough swag no, in high no. school or college to think about this. But Aaron was number one, and yeah. I feel like there's a level of swag to choose the number like zero, one, or thirteen in sports, and those are always the best players. Yeah. So what did what happened with Aaron? Because I actually don't know this story very well. So her coach Karen Shelton, who was I think she spent 42 years at UNC, won wow. 10 national championships. The year that Aaron was in her senior year, Karen Shelton was retiring. Yeah. And and Aaron Matson like thought about the idea of Karen Shelton's retirement and walked into the athletic director's office and asked for the coaching job. Whoa. At 22, 23. Yeah, of like the primetime program. Yeah, of UNC, which has been like the winningest field hockey program in NCAA history. And the AD hadn't even considered her yeah. for the job. And she got it. Whoa. And the next year she went on, she won an NCAA championship with UNC at the age of 24, the youngest yeah. coach ever in the NCAA, the youngest coach to win an NCAA championship. And it's funny because when I saw that story, I was like, oh, like this must have been this like planned pass down from Karen yeah. Shelton to Aaron Matson. I had no idea that Aaron marched into the athletic director's office and asked for the job when she wasn't even being considered. Yeah. It's like, you only get what you ask for. Yeah, you know? exactly. And that's my, that's my thing about young coaches is- yeah. I think as a young coach, you have to ask for a lot more and you have to have that swag. You have to wear number one and go for it. And I think you can kind of, you know, there's like, you can be true to your core values and principles in that process. But I think like, especially as a young coach, you have to think about that. That's complicated though. And I think that it gets to the hard part with coaching too. And probably some of the negative stories that we don't Mm -hmm. want to tell. Yes. Yeah. Um, Like the the bad character type stuff is that, okay, on one side to be a good coach, you need this swag and confidence. Like Mike Smith demonstrates that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Aaron Mattson demonstrates. All the coaches we've talked about demonstrate that. Um, But on the other side, that very easily can become Darth Vader over time. Oh, for sure, yes. Because you essentially have to be that to be successful. So that is the prerequisite. But balancing that with the openness becomes especially hard, especially when you can become like a dictatorial um, person and you think you're always right. And then eventually you become calcified in these views. And so, yeah, it's, it can be like a really tough balancing act. And so it'll be interesting to see where someone like Erin goes from here. It seems like she's, you know, super open. And the fact that she had success that quickly is pretty insane. Yeah. And she's had to combat haters along the way too. Yeah. If you imagine like people are like, why is this? I mean, very much like me, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's this 23 year old player who probably went out and she did go out with several of her teammates and now she's going to coach them. She was just friends with them yeah. a year ago. And, and you know, the field hockey message boards. Oh yeah. The field hockey message boards are legit. Let's, let's hockey. Let's <laughs> yeah. hockey. It's just a bunch of high schoolers talking shit about things they don't understand. But I loved how she responded to her haters. And this is, this is a quote actually um, in a publication. There's always going to be people who talk, Matson said. Quote, the day I was hired, there was this guy on Twitter. She's not even old enough to rent a car right now. <laughs> it's like, all right, dude, if that's the biggest worry you have, I think we're in a good spot. There is Uber and I will figure it out because I'm resourceful. <laughs> and then, you know, she went and dunked on them by winning an NCAA championship. Yeah, that's amazing. It's also different than you often see in coaching where you see this in the NFL right now. So we're in the, um, they call it Black Monday, the day mm-hmm. after the NFL season where all the coaches get fired. And the coaches that are getting hired now are usually these kind of young guys that themselves 
sucked at football. <laughs> yeah. you know? And I think that part of the reason, well, one of the reasons is because they can start their coaching or career, career in their 20s when mm-hmm. everybody else is in the pros. The other reason is because being really, really effortlessly good at something is not the best perspective with which to then coach people. <laughs> um, it's good to be like, good enough to understand, but not good enough to like, to basically you're looking for every advantage as an athlete. So then you can help pass that down. Aaron seems to have the best of all worlds. I know. I was, that's actually, I was, and again, I was a touch skeptical. I'm like, she's 23. Yeah. She was just friends with all these players. Like she's almost so good. I was like, is she going to be able to translate that yeah. into coaching theory? But she did. And I think that's the cool thing about coaching too, is there's all of these kind of like thoughts and philosophies. And then there's coaches who just break those rules. And like, she doesn't, yeah. I think, she doesn't think she's God, right? No. Like, could yeah. you imagine God as a coach? Like, all right. All you need to do now is turn water into wine. Just do it. It's easy. <laughs> Anybody can do it. Um, it's like, no, that's not the way it works for us mortals. Um, but it seems like she, you know, keeps that perspective. Um, actually, and to end this conversation, I loved this thing you shared with me this week from Ryan Holiday. Ryan Holiday is a, you know, he translates philo- philosophical tests texts, um, primarily Stoic philosophy, into these books that are really fantastic. But he had a great quote about um, how you're perceived, which I think is really important as you think about coaching, leadership of any type. He's kind of a life coach. I hesitate to sometimes use that word, but he's like a life coach to, to the masses. And he's also a runner too. And I feel like it's very evident when you read his yeah. like writing and his work, you're like, there is some marathon training philosophy behind this. I wonder if he's ever listened to SWAP or if he's aware of who we are. Do you think he's aware? Probably not. I think he is. Maybe. I think it's. I like. Point, I like how you dream. I, I, at some point, he's like been like, oh man, they're really bad at translating Stoic philosophy. <laughs> they're not very good at what I do. Okay, so here's the quote. Um, That's what happens when you care more about what you are doing and less about what others are thinking. What you're also doing is depriving yourself of the joy and gratitude of the specialness of getting to do it at all. It's an incredible thing to be a professional baseball player or write books or coach, I'm adding, or whatever it is we're called to do in life. But being outcome-oriented, results-driven is to spit in the face of that. Instead of being present, you're basically thinking, I can't wait for this to be over to find out whether it was worth it or not. And let me tell you, the world is not kind to that kind of neediness. It's not kind to that kind of ingratitude either. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Also, it's like, I don't know, I feel like we create a lot in life too. And it's yeah. kind of like a warm hug. Of Definitely, It gets yeah. back to like my goals for 2024, which is I want to create for me. Yeah. And I want to genuinely enjoy the process. And, you know, the receivers are just kind of along for the date and along for the party of it all. Yeah. That's what I think about in sex. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's just about me. It's <laughs> yeah. just about my process, not about the people receiving. Actually, that's kind of what I think about. <laughs> I feel like we have a good, but you know what? I think that's a good thing. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> yeah. We can see what Ryan Holiday thinks. Yeah. Ryan, if you want to come on and talk about Has it. he ever talked about that? I, I follow not. him a lot. I don't think I've seen it. Okay. Ryan Holiday, where are the eggplant emojis in your book? <laughs> yeah. Where is the stoic philosophy approach to eggplant emojis? A pleasure. I bet Marcus Aurelius has a lot to say about doggy style. What do you think Marcus Aurelius thinks about sex? Just give me a quote. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, so Marcus Aurelius primarily, it's like, uh, I, you, dude, you're putting me on the spot too much. I, don't I know wanna, that's a hard one. And I, it's like you don't want to put words into his mouth. He's yeah, this yeah. ancient philosopher. You don't want to be like, yeah. yeah. So here's my quote: Don't put words in my mouth from Marcus Aurelius. But I'll take other things. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> David, that I was amazing. <laughs> so proud of myself. All right, do you want to go on to a study? We we didn't get to too much science today. But- I know, dude. We missed a lot of science. It is. We are well into our episode when we're hitting our first science. Oh my god, and we have news and fun things. Oh man, do we just skip the physical activity and genetics study, or do we you know do what? it? Yeah, I think we we save it for next week. Okay, it's so good though. It is good. 
I but we have news you have your this. optimism hat on. I have my skeptic hat. I feel like okay. yeah. Oh man, we also have this article in Men's Journal about health and running. That's okay, really let's skip all that stuff and get to Chipotle. Okay. <laughs> How does that sound? <laughs> well, I just looked at you, Megan, and you're really lit right now. We're recording this at six eighteen a.m. and you have one tear just coming down your eye. <laughs> I know my right eye. You're thinking about Chipotle. I know Chipotle makes me cry uniteers. Okay, before we get to Chipotle, a, le- a note we got in from a listener on precision fuel and hydration. Also, wanted to pass along that I tried some precision hydration gels based on your recommendation, and hot damn. I don't know what that original flavor is, but it's delicious, and the gels worked great during a hill workout the other day. I'm going to be using the shit out of that lifetime discount code. That lifetime discount code is just on Patreon. Um, If you want that, join our Patreon, patreon.com slash swap. But if you just want the one-time discount code to try these out, the gels are amazing. The caps are amazing. Basically, it's all great. Uh, PFandH.com. There, use offer code SWAP, S-W-A-P at checkout for 15% off. Uh, really good shit. Okay. The flavor of the gels is swagnanimous. Swagnanimous. Yes. It's so good. So delicious. Kind of like rocket fuel. And I was doing the math. I slurped a lot of gels the other day on yeah. both my ride and my run. And I was doing the math and I was like, this is expensive stuff. Yeah. So honestly, like Patreon pays off for the lifetime discount count yes. if you're like accurately like and honestly fueling your exercise. Yeah. It's great stuff. Okay. On to news and fun things. <laughs> I feel bad that we didn't get to the science, but we have so many fun things. Let's just- Okay. Let's just we do almost- Yeah. I think it's good. It's good to be different sometimes. Yeah. It's good to be different. And people like our UTMB discussions. So, yeah. uh, you know. There was some science in there <laughs> on the Princeton offense. <laughs> and I talked about philosophy via Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> um, okay. So on to Chipotle. This is really interesting. So on Strava, they have a Chipotle challenge where um, there are segments in a bunch of major cities, Denver, D.C., New York, Chicago, things like that. Um, and whoever does the most attempts on the segments gets, quote, Free Chipotle for the whole year. And I was like, that's too good to be true because I think about how much Chipotle I would consume. I would be in there for breakfast, lunch, dinner, three snacks. And it's actually one Chipotle dinner a week. Yeah. That's very different. Very different, especially because of what athletes are doing to achieve (laughs) Chipotle. So there's one runner in particular, Sam Werner in Denver, whose Strava I was going on. Sam, reach out to us. How'd you find him? Oh, because I read an article and they linked to his Strava. Uh It was fantastic. Um, And he has done... A thousand attempts on this little 0.3 mile segment. He did, I think, 26 hours of running back and forth on the segment in a single week to get the Denver challenge. So to me, this is the most beautiful story of human triumph of everything we've ever talked about. I'm like, to me, Sam Werner is who I aspire to be, is to go after this thing really for the process because the Chipotle results don't necessarily justify this, but it does probably justify a month he's never going to forget. Well, I love this too, because it's like, it combines two of our favorite things, which is doing epic shit for the heck of it. And the second thing is, is like fueling your body really well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like at this point, Chipotle should just give him free Chipotle for a year. If you're doing this, he should have like, it's not just one bowl a week. It should be a lot. I totally agree. I actually wonder if the segments themselves go buy Chipotle's. Oh, that would make sense. Actually. And similarly, if that is true, I wonder if they go by a series of porta potties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, afterwards. <laughs> when I heard the Chipotle challenge, I thought it was something to do with that. Yeah. But so, actually, I do what I think. Yeah. You know how we do like Big's Backyard and a lot of these challenges, and like Lululemon is having a six day ultra marathon. There should be food incentives tied to it. Yeah. I feel like we could break world records and like defy like what we think of as possible in terms of human limits when we attach food incentives to things. Yeah. Well, I think every long event implicitly has food incentives, right? Because when whenever we're doing long things, as we talk about food doping, you need to fuel a ton. It's yes, the only yeah. way to make it possible. We need to make that explicit. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, what is 400 calories an hour other than 
you know, a whole pizza every couple hours. So that's what we're trying to do here. But also it's interesting when you think about the return on investment, because in order to do something like the Chipotle challenge, you probably have to consume like many hundreds of dollars worth of food and gels and things like that to sustain the body for this one Chipotle dinner a week. It's the circle. (laughs) The circle circle of Chipotle. (laughs) I was like, you're not ending on life there. I was going to say carnitas, but I was like, I want to make sure Megan can vibe with me. I I love carnitas. Um, Yeah, but I meant to, you wouldn't know that. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I know. It'd be hard to guess. Yeah. But you skipped out on Chipotle too, so (laughs) kind of missed on that one. All right. Number two, uh, this is interesting from the media world. Um, and it's relevant to things like podcasts that you listen to and, and other situations like that. Both Sports Illustrated and Pitchfork basically folded this past week. Pitchfork was brought under the GQ umbrella. Um, no one really knows what's going to happen there, but Sports Illustrated laid off their employees and basically all that's left of Sports Illustrated is the brand name itself. Um, and this is like a seismic shift that's continuing within the media space. So like all of these legacy brands, other than the big ones like Washington Post, New York Times, essentially CNN, are just cratering right now. And it's pretty sad. And it's going to really change how we consume news, information, your favorite writing, all of that. Well, yeah. I mean, this comes on the heels of the LA Times like laying off a significant portion of their writers and Time Magazine and so many other companies. What I think is different, though, about Sports Illustrated is we just talked on a, like an episode a couple of weeks ago about the fact that they had AI uh, yeah. writing some of their articles. And so when you think about the layoffs, like for the LA Times, it's actually sad because they're laying off a significant pr- proportion of like diverse writers and yeah. writers that are bringing in different viewpoints. Where Sports Illustrated, they're, they're laying off like Charles, <laughs> which is like the, the, the AI the generated image. Yeah. yeah the, I mean, but to be serious on it, they're laying off a ton of writers too. And yes, yeah. I mean, I think the reason I wanted to bring it up is, you know, we have a lot of listeners to this podcast and really engaged people. And if you like something, support it directly. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not, this isn't talking about our Patreon here. I'm talking about like any other writer. So I mentioned on the past, my favorite model for this is Defector, um, the sports website that charges hundred dollars a year to read it. It's amazing. It's all the X people that were laid off of Deadspin. Um, but similarly, I think that that's the model that mid-level media is going to move to. Mm-hmm. So if you have creators you like on, let's say, Patreon, please support them. Not clowning us here. Like, we're fine um, because we have uh, athletic greens. Drink.ag1.com. <laughs> 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 um, but no, and then, you know, anyone that's doing Substack, subscription fees, um, these smaller companies, like, that's going to be how this world moves because the ad-supported model has cratered. Like, it just doesn't exist anymore, except on podcasts, interestingly. Mm-hmm. So the ad-supported approach does work in the podcast form. So people like Joe Rogan and Andrew Huberman are rolling deep in money, um, as are some of these, you know, podcasts from legacy media organizations. But the media organizations themselves, unless they're fueled by subscriptions, are going to be dinosaurs shortly. Well, well, it's always curious to see, like, what is the rage and then how that rage then becomes into a dinosaur. And I would argue that dinosaurs are raged too. Dinosaurs are the freaking best. Uh, But do you think podcasts are ever going to go like in 20, 30 years, we're going to be sitting here being like, oh, we need to pivot to something. And what do you think that is? Uh, Yes, I do think podcasts are going to change, right? Because young people don't really listen to podcasts. Yes, exactly. Um, And, you know, it's going to go the way of Facebook or whatever, where it just becomes, we're going to, but we'll still be podcasting because we'll be podcasting (laughs) all of our fellow 65 year olds. Our fellow dinosaurs. Yeah, eventually when we're getting social security checks, everyone else that's getting social security checks, we're going to sponsor them. And at the bottom, they're going to say some work all play podcasts. But it changes. I think you can't anticipate. If I could do that, then, um, you know, I'd be a lot different, like media mogul than I am. I think it's up to the people out there that are creating to do that. So if you're out there, 
create the thing that you want to see in the world. So for us, it's podcasts. I'm obsessed with podcasts. That's why we do it. Um, but for you, it might be something different. It might be TikToks or whatever, which is something I haven't quite bridged the gap to yet. Um, and whatever that is, just embrace it, go full steam in it. Because if you can get out the head of one of these curves, that's how you become the next legacy media organization. Yeah. I'm a dinosaur that's scared by TikTok. Yes. I'm like, how do you do this? There's a lot going on. But YouTube, I'm actually very curious about. Yeah. We've yeah. been into YouTube recently. Yeah. We watch a lot of YouTube. Leo yeah. watches YouTube with us sometimes. He's learning all about track access and coaching and things like that. So what are you thinking on YouTube? I'm you get, you, Mel, yeah. Some things are still in? Um, the, my mouth, for once, is fully sealed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's living the good life. <laughs> okay, let's, let's finish this on a post from Ali Ostrander, actually, um, on news and fun things. We have a ton that we'll get to next week, or 10 weeks from now. Um, she wrote this beautiful post on Instagram after she qualified for World Cross Country. We talked about that last week, and you know her story really resonated with people. I commented on her Instagram where she had herself leaning to the finish line uh, to qualify for World Across Country. Okay, leaning is an understatement. She leaned and then dove yeah. and then like did a flip. It was well, she epic. called it the lean dive splat. That's oh, that's perfect. So yes, I, I, um, and my comment was just something like you know jokey, and it has gotten my comment over 2000 likes, which has led, <laughs> made, to, so like whenever I click on Instagram, I see that. And so I went back to the post um, before we recorded this. I think it's up to like 275,000 likes right now. Wow. Which well, is the love she deserves. Yeah. Yes. But the point being, I think her story, like we talked about last week, resonates with people so deeply because it's this open, vulnerable journey. And she continued that this week with a post. Um, here's an excerpt from it. I, I summarized some things just so it would be a little bit shorter. I almost didn't start this race. My confidence plummeted in the weeks leading up to the race, mainly due to poor body image. It got to the point where I nearly convinced myself that I wasn't capable of racing before even giving myself a chance. I almost let my limiting beliefs about my body keep me from running in a race, which ultimately qualified me for Team USA. If I hadn't raced, I might still be doubting whether I was capable. In reality, it was only my brain that wasn't capable of comprehending what my body could truly do. This is a reminder that fitness is a feeling, not a look, and that the limiting beliefs we hold are worth letting go. In 2024, let's fuel for performance, not aesthetics, and work to quiet the voices that suggest that the mirror is the performance indicator. Okay, that quote, fitness is a feeling, not yeah. a look. Isn't that like so well said? Yeah, it's so well said. And it's also hard too. Yeah. It's well said, but it's also easier said than done. Yeah. And I've coached a lot of athletes who are going through beautiful journeys right now of like thinking about long-term health and right alongside that long-term performance too, because that's the ultimate best path to long-term performance. But the process of doing that is really not easy, yeah. of existing in a body that might feel and look different. Yeah. And that's hard. Yeah. And evaluating fitness in general. I mean, mm -hmm. I find that what self-critical people do, of which we are both of that variety, though we're getting better, is you take, you know, your fitness is your worst day or whatever, mm -hmm. and your body is the worst look you have in the mirror, and you're not able to see what your body actually is anyway, and you're looking at aesthetic, like all of that stuff. Whereas, you know, the way that I want athletes to frame it as a coach, and a way I think is objectively true, is your fitness is your very best day. Not just even short-term, I mean long-term. Like you can't fake what your best day ever is. And that's what to grasp onto. It's not just, I needed this race to be good. It's like, wherever your peak is, is what your 
fitness is. And that's what to grasp onto everything else. You can feel shitty. You can feel like you look bad, all of that stuff. Like it's okay. Just keep going the course, stay with the process and you got this. And I think as you go through that process, it's almost like there's this chatter of thoughts in the brain that is distracting at a lot of times. And sometimes you just have to be like, shut up, bitch, (laughs) up there to those thoughts. And just to understand that, like, it's normal to have those. And we've coached a lot of athletes that have gone through this. And, you know, we've probably gone through this at various times in our life too. And sometimes you just got to be like, it's okay for those thoughts to exist up there. But at the end of the day, it's about like health and performance. I like it. Shut up, bitch. And then you say, but this is how you say it though. You're like. Shut up, you bitch. Yeah, you gotta be nice to those thoughts. Here's a love and hug. You tell me, shut up, bitch, all the time. But then give me a big hug and it yeah. makes it okay. Shut up, bitch, and a big bear hug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> perfect. All right, on the hot takes and stories, we'll just do one this week. Um, I like this first. Which one? Number one or number two? Megan pointed at something. I was pointing at Oreos, actually. Or number three. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. Okay. All right. We I'll can... do number one. Okay. Strava needs a feature that allows users to mark the locations of porta potties and public restrooms on the map. Other users could confirm that the toilets are still there and unlocked, similar to how people mark speed traps on ways. That's actually genius. So, Strava should listen up, but they should also, it should be Chipotle's and then potties. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. I actually think that if you use Strava, like the map function, you Mm -hmm. can find where toilets are. Oh, I I think that they have something similar to this. I'm not sure if it's user generated or what. I think it's probably premium only. Yeah. Yeah. But like if you zoom in, you can see a lot of different cool features on Strava that they don't publicize. I, I often see a toilet icon, um, which is helpful. I think there's some water fountain icons. And I believe that at times they have like places that are the most common start areas and stuff. Oh, I didn't if, realize that. In new towns. So. I'm clearly not zooming in enough. Oh, Megan, I zoom in so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So far. <laughs> so great hot take, but you know what? It's an idea that may already be there. Uh-huh. It's well, pretty it's, cool. It's sign that's a good hot take. Good hot take. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. On to listener corner. As always, thank you all so much. We appreciate you listening to this podcast. Um, if you're not already subscribed, click follow wherever you listen. It's free. Doesn't do any harm to you, but it helps us, helps people find it. Um, and give it five stars. Um, five star ratings are you know clutch for any podcast you listen to. It really is what drives the ability for the podcast to keep growing. It does help us immensely. Also, thank you for all the hot takes and yeah. stories and uh, secrets that we've been getting. It's it's like, I don't know, it is like a warm hug. Yeah. And it's amazing. And it's kind of sad. Like for me, sometimes when we scroll past our science and we're like, we'll cover this on another week. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay, whatever. When we scroll past secrets and hot <laughs> takes, there's a part of my soul that just melts. And so yeah. thank you all for sending them in. And we have a lot more on these ahead. That's what Patreon's for though. That's true. There's a yes. lot, of, lot yes. of direct interaction there. Okay. Um, I'm going to read the second one because it's shorter. I just had to share this because I thought you and Megan would get a kick out of it. I'm on antibiotics for an ear infection and the antibiotic induced diarrhea. Oh God, there's a theme going on right now that apparently is a thing. Didn't kick in until I was running downhill after my uphill intervals today. And I was listening to swap and you guys were talking about fluids and I was literally shitting my pants and laughing and crying all at once. Lol. Love you guys. So much love to this listener. Yeah. Shitting your pants happens. Yeah. It does. Fluids happen. Fluids yeah. happen. That's a whole, I mean, a whole chunk of our secrets every week is people talking about their fluids and <laughs> don't be ashamed of it. <laughs> Give them an old big old bear hug. I think the coolest thing about running is that you get so in depth with your physical nature, Mm -hmm. right? And I mean, a lot of this podcast, like we talk about things like being in your head or whatever. And one of the cool things about running, it kind of takes you out of your head just a little bit. And, you know, you can have these experiences where you you have transcendent thoughts, like me thinking about what we're going to be talking about when we're 85 years old, you know, um, and- Which is fluids. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be changing my fluids and you're going to be like, girl- (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, they have adult diapers. I'm experienced with children diapers. I assume adult diapers are just that times three. <laughs> I'm pumped. Um, but then also you have these moments that you're just like, you know, 
having like just this visceral reaction to your body's functions. And so I think like if you're going through something like this, it's one of those moments to really do what this listener did and lull. Yeah. I thought you were going to say stick your ass to the world. (laughs) (laughs) It's also a thing to do too. (laughs) That's perfect. And you know what we say? What? Two Two ass ass cheeks cheeks for for the haters. haters. We love you all. Woohoo. Huzzah.